Have you ever, kind of out of the blue, just felt like you were supposed to stop what you're doing and just pray? Pray for someone or for something. Just, you don't know why, you just needed to do it right now. Or maybe you were just supposed to go over to that person and just, just talk to them or give them a hug or tell them that, you know what, you are loved. Or maybe just hand them 20 bucks or maybe just sit and listen to them, talk. Or maybe go and help them across the street. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just those experiences that are unexplainable, but you know you're supposed to go and do it. Well, as I've, as I've continued to mature in my faith and learn about how the Holy Spirit works and speaks to me in my life, I have experienced more and more of those types of things happening to me. And it's my hope and my prayer today that every single one of us, as we leave from here and we go about our Christian walk, will be able to say the same thing, that we are experiencing God in ways that we used to read about in the Bible and now can say, yes, I know the word of God, but I also have experienced the power of God. Amen? And so we are going to dive in to our empowering God, the God who empowers. We have been laying a theological foundation the past couple of weeks on the importance of how the Holy Spirit moves and operates and some of the deep things that he does in our lives. And today I want to talk a little bit about how he empowers us to do the work that he calls us to do. So as you turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, I am going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Father, I thank you how it points us to your son, Jesus, and shows us that when we have Jesus, we receive your spirit and the power that comes with that. And Lord, I yield myself to you now, that you would speak through me, that my words would be yours. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would yield to your spirit moving in our hearts, that we would not just hear your truth, but we would truly receive it and be transformed by it, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to begin our study. This really isn't a complicated sermon. There's two parts. And the first thing we're going to look at is the baptism of the Spirit, a phrase that we need to make sure we understand since there's all kinds of different perspectives on what it is. So we're going to begin by looking at the baptism of the Spirit. And I would like you to open up to verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Of course, this echoes what we read in all four of the Gospels where John the Baptist said, I have baptized you with water, but he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the Gospel of John, specifically in chapters 14 and 16, Jesus talked a whole lot to his disciples about the promise of the Father, the promise that he would send a helper to them, to be with them, to be in them, and to empower them once Jesus ascended into heaven. And of course, 10 days after Jesus' ascension, which we read about a little further on in Acts chapter 1, we see that God fulfilled his promise to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. So let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see here that Pentecost is the fulfillment of the promise that the disciples would be baptized with the Spirit. But what exactly happened at Pentecost? What is the baptism of the Spirit? I mean, after Jesus rose from the dead in John chapter 20, we read in verses 21 and 22 that Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, this happened after Jesus raised from the dead, but before Pentecost. And and after Jesus breathed on them, he reminded them again of the promise of the Father to be baptized. So what is going on here? Didn't they already have the Spirit at the time of Pentecost? Was this baptism of the Spirit at Pentecost some sort of second filling that they received? And if it was a second filling that they received, is this something that we should be seeking after today to receive this sort of second filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, the short answer to all of those questions is no. It wasn't a second filling, and I'll explain that in a second, because there are some theological positions that would say, yes, it was a second filling. Yes, it is something that every believer should seek to receive, but with all due respect to those theological positions, I would submit that it doesn't reflect the full counsel of Scripture. Let me show you how. It's critical for us in understanding all of this about the baptism of the Spirit that we understand how the Holy Spirit worked under the Old Covenant 
and how the Holy Spirit works today under the new covenant. And one of the key verses in understanding the difference in how the Spirit worked under the old covenant and how he works today under the new covenant is found in John chapter 14 when Jesus was explaining to the disciples how the Holy Spirit would work. And we read in, chap- in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the critical portion of that verse that I want us to see is the final phrase there. He dwells with you and will be in you. See, under the old covenant, which, by the way, the old covenant and how the Spirit worked was in effect up through Christ's death, resurrection, and until his ascension. That's a very important thing that we understand that. Christ's atoning work was finished at the cross. It is finished. But with respect to the Holy Spirit, Christ very clearly said that not until I leave, until I ascend back to heaven, will you receive him. And so under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon a follower of God And the Holy Spirit could leave a follower of God or someone who ceased, for example, to operate in the will of the Father. See King Saul as an example of that. When he was anointed, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied manifestations of the Spirit. And when he sinned and turned away from God, it says the Spirit left him and came upon King David when King David was anointed. So we see that under the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was with followers of God. But today, under the New Covenant, the instant that someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. The instant someone recognizes that, I cannot save myself. I need God to save me, and God knows that, and so he sent his son to die for me, to experience the punishment that I should receive. The instant someone puts their faith in what Christ has done, they receive the Holy Spirit. They are sealed by the Holy Spirit. They are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God then moves in them to live a life of joyful, thankful service to God until he calls them home. That is the gospel, and that is how the new covenant operates today. See, under the old covenant, the Spirit was with a follower of God, but under the new covenant, the Spirit is inside of all followers of Jesus Christ. 
he dwells with you and will be in you. In John chapter 20, when Christ breathed on the disciples, he had not yet ascended. That was still in the old covenant time period. The Spirit was with them, but he was not yet in them. Pentecost, what we just read, was the initiation of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Thus, the promised baptism of the Spirit occurred the instant that the disciples were filled with the Spirit for the first time, not the second time. In fact, we see similar baptism experiences all through Acts. In Acts chapter 8, you have the Samaritans who are baptized with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, you have Gentiles who are baptized with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, you have Ephesian followers of John the Baptist who are baptized with the Spirit when they finally hear of Christ and the Holy Spirit. All of these instances are the initial filling of these individuals who believed. Now, you might be wondering, well, does God still indwell us this same way today with, with these same manifestations of the Spirit? Yes, absolutely, undoubtedly, no question. But does it happen this way every time? No. It could, but it doesn't have to. Could this happen at some point in our walk with Christ? Yes, absolutely, of course. If it doesn't happen, are you not filled with the Spirit of God? Not necessarily. How do I know this? Well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 4. Specifically, I want to look at verse 31. And this is after... Peter was before the Sanhedrin and was beaten and told, do not proclaim the name of Jesus Christ any longer. And so he goes back to all the other believers and he says, hey, we got to pray. We need to pray for boldness to preach the word of God. And the word says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, was this a third filling of the disciples that the Lord gave them? No, they were already filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God already indwelt them. This was the Lord empowering to do the work that he called them to do. And there are, are continued examples all through the book of Acts where individual believers are empowered. It says Paul was empowered like 36 times. I'm exaggerating slightly. But he was filled over and over again, right? These weren't new baptisms that he received. He received one baptism. And yet he was empowered over and over to do the work that the Lord called him to do. See, today, under the new covenant, all believers are baptized with the Spirit the instant we believe. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, you have been baptized in the Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, which is really one of the key texts to this theological point, says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Every one of us who believes has been baptized in the spirit, and we can continue to be empowered by the spirit all throughout our lives. But here is the trick. Just because you have been baptized by the Spirit and you have been indwelt by the Spirit does not mean that you are living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to make sure we all hear that, okay? Just because we have the Spirit living inside of us, that doesn't automatically mean that we are going to live Spirit-filled lives. And so now I want to turn our attention to the empowering of the Spirit and what that means and what that looks like. Back in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus' ascension, he continued to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And they were having this conversation and what it meant for the disciples to receive the promise of the Father. And in verse 6, we pick up this conversation. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Notice, as soon as the disciples heard that they were going to get this power, not in just a couple days from now, the first thing that they thought was, hey, we're going to be free of the Roman rule. Liberation, baby. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want us to see right away that the first thing the disciples thought was, hey, this new power is going to be great. We can do whatever we want to do here, right? We're going to cast off the oppressors. And Jesus immediately put that thinking to rest. And he basically said, stop worrying about all of that stuff. Stop focusing on what you want. Stop focusing on what your desire is. And start seeking after what the Lord wants of you, which is for you to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And right here we see the first step in being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've got to stop seeking after our own desires and start seeking what the Lord wants for our lives. Our lives will be powerless and devoid of the Spirit when all we're doing is seeking after what we want. And we give no thought or effort at all to what the Lord is calling us to. I hear people say, 
I just don't experience God's power in my life. I just don't see him at work in my life. And my first question is, well, are you seeking after what God is calling you to? Or are you continuing to doggedly go after what you want for yourself? Why would you ever expect God to give you power to achieve something that he's not calling you to? And may, in fact, be the exact opposite direction from what he is calling you to. Our selfishness kills the power of the Spirit at work within us. But when we shift our focus and we begin to seek after the things of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to enable us to do whatever the Lord is calling us to. And you will experience the power of God at work in your life, wherever that is, in your home, in your workplace, in your schools, in the Lehigh Valley, in the Congo, wherever he is calling you to. We will experience the power of God. Now, the Greek word for power here in verse 8 of chapter 1, it was used by the Greeks to describe the most awesome force they could possibly conceive of, the strongest thing that they knew of. Think about that. The strongest thing in the universe, that was the power that Jesus Christ promised to his disciples. When you became a believer and you were baptized with the Holy Spirit the instant you trusted Christ, you received the most powerful force in the universe. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The same power that brings dry bones back to life. The same power that allowed the disciples to do amazing miracles. That same power lives inside of you today. And God is calling us to exercise it in accordance with his will so those same things can be done right now. There was nothing special about the apostles. There was nothing special about the disciples of Christ. We want to make these men and women into these super spiritual people who were so sanctified and holy and righteous. They knew Jesus, and they believed him when they said that he was going to give them power to be his witnesses, and they walked in that power. And unfortunately, I think that many of us, myself included, fail to rely upon that power all too often. A.W. Tozer said, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the spirit 
is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, am I walking in the power of the Spirit? Am I seeking after that? Or maybe put a different way is, whose power am I really relying upon on a daily basis? You know, as I was studying this this week, I was like getting slapped around. So hear me when I say I'm preaching right to my own heart, all right? Because the reality is we can do a lot of things successfully. We can run successful businesses, get great grades, have happy, healthy homes, make a lot of money, have a lot of influence, be admired by lots of people, help lots of people who are in need, preach a really powerful sermon. And if we do any of that apart from the power of God, it is absolutely worthless. And more than that, when we rely on our own power to do those things, we rob God of the glory that He is due. Because the reality is that when I rely on my own strength, my own abilities, my own education, my own understanding, I will only ever achieve Matthew-sized results. And I'm short, right? And kind of expanding waistline, right? So <laughs> those are not God-sized results. And I don't want Matthew-sized results. And I hope you don't want you-sized results. I hope you are not satisfied with that. Brothers and sisters, we should crave after God-sized results. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit is empowering us and driving us and we are relying on that power every day. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We should memorize that verse and repeat it to ourselves every single day. There are those of us here that really need to stop relying on our own strength and rely on the power of God. If that's you, that's me, then we need to wake up and recognize our sinful self-sufficiency. And we need to repent and seek to rely on the power of spirit. We've got to put aside our prideful self-reliance that is robbing God of the glory that he is due. 
We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and remind ourselves that I can do nothing apart from you, God. Despite how capable I might think I am. Of course, there are also those of us at the opposite end of the spectrum. Those of us who feel powerless despite the fact that we have the greatest power in the universe indwelling us. And yet, because we are afraid to step out, we are afraid of what others may think, we are afraid to walk in that power, we're more comfortable cowering in our powerlessness, we never go there. And that is just as sinful and just as wrong. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Greek for be filled here literally means to be filled to the brim, to be completely filled, to be overflowing. Figuratively, it means to take possession of so that you are totally controlled by it. That's why it's juxtaposed to drunkenness. When you are filled with alcohol and you get drunk, you're not in control of yourself. The alcohol causes you to say and do things that you would never otherwise have done. And that's the same exact way that it works with the empowerment of the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit and you are empowered by the Spirit, you will say and do things you never otherwise would have done, except it won't end up with you on the front page of the newspaper, it'll end up with God's name being glorified. Amen? That's what it means to be empowered by the Spirit, not to merely be baptized by Him and indwelt by Him, but to be totally and completely controlled by Him, filled to overflowing as we yield to His direction in our lives on a daily basis. And I really want us to understand Paul's encouragement to us in this verse. It's critical that we get this. This is a command. It's written in the imperative mood, which means you don't have a choice, Christian. Oh, and by the way, it's plural, which means he's talking to all Christians, not just a select super spiritual few. He's talking to every single one of us, and he's saying, Christians, you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And oh, by the way, this is an action that you need to submit to. This isn't something that you can do to yourself. God fills you. God alone fills you. It's passive in its voice. And more than that, it's in the present tense, which means as many of the commands in Scripture are, this is something that you do over and 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 over again without end until the Lord calls you home. 
regardless of what your theology on baptism of the Spirit is, I hope that we can agree that we need to be seeking God's power every single day of our lives, no matter what. Amen. John MacArthur says, if we do not obey this command, we cannot obey any other. Simply because we cannot do any of God's will apart from God's Spirit. Outside of the command for unbelievers to trust in Christ for salvation, there is no more practical and necessary command in Scripture than the one for believers to be filled with the Spirit. If we want to live lives that are empowered by the Spirit, we've got to put aside our own preferences, our own desires, and we need to humble ourselves and open ourselves up to the control and leading of the Spirit in our lives. You can't fill something that's not open. If there's a lid on the jar and I try to pour water into it, no water gets into the jar. The jar has to be open. Recognize in Acts chapter 1, if you continue reading on, after Christ ascended into heaven, all of the disciples got together in the upper room and they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they waited just like Jesus told them to do and they sought the baptism of the Spirit that was promised to them. They sought the Lord filling and empowering them because they knew they needed it. They were open to it. And brothers and sisters, that has to be us. Yes, we have been baptized, but we need to seek the power of the Spirit and open ourselves to it every day. But not only do we need to be open to the Spirit, we've also got to be vessels that are fit to be filled and what I mean by that is we can't be filled with other things. We may be open to the Spirit of God, but if we're full of clutter, if we're full of idols and other things that are holding us back from fully yielding to the call of God in our lives, then we will not be empowered believers. And the Spirit of God at work in us will be retarded it'll be there'll be a shield a block to it you may be a believer and i pray that every single one here is but if we are not open or fit to be filled by the spirit of god then our lives will lack the power of the spirit We've got to learn how to empty ourselves of all those distractions and keep all of the idols away that keep us from submitting to his power and control. Now, if you're anything like me, you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's good. How do I do that? Well, the practical side of me recoils at this. 
But the reality is there is no five-step method, <laughs> okay? I wish I could say, step number one, this. Step number two, this, three, four, five. Boom, you're filled with the Spirit. Congratulations. Come on over here and let me just lay my hands on you and then boom, you will be totally empowered by the Spirit. Well, prayer is important. We need to be pay- praying for each other. That is critical. But if I am not maturing in my faith and open and fit to be filled, it's not going to matter. How do I do that? I, I, I don't know steps, but I can describe to you what it looks like, I think. The reality is that when you are living your life empowered and filled by the Spirit, oftentimes it doesn't look a lot different than like you're doing right now with one giant exception. God's fingerprints will be all over your life. And you won't be able to take credit for anything any longer. And you, every day, will have reason to testify and witness to God's power at work in you and through you. That's what it will look like. When you wake up every morning, I hope you pray. I hope you go before the Lord. But I would encourage you, if you don't already, add seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to your little checklist that you go through, okay? And I don't say that just flippantly. We need to seek God's power every day. As soon as we wake up, that should be one of our first thoughts is, Lord, thank you for another day. Fill me with your spirit so that I can do your will. I don't want to do anything else other than what you are calling me to. And when you open the word of God and you read the word of God, I hope you don't just open it and say, okay, I'm going to read my chapter or three for my devotional study and that was really interesting. We should be going before the throne of God and saying, Lord, open my eyes with your spirit. Lord, lead me into your truth with your spirit. Transform my heart. Transform my mind. Convict my soul. Comfort my soul. Give me what I need out of this. You want to know if you're being empowered by the word of God? Is Is the word of God moving you? You want to know if you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit? The word of God will do something to you. You will never, and I very much hesitate to use superlatives, but I am going to say you will never come away from reading the word of God and feel like you never that you didn't get anything out of it if you are truly seeking to be led by the Spirit. And by the way, the same goes for a sermon. Even when you have a just okay preacher. If the Spirit of God is empowering you and you are yielding to it, there will always be something that grabs you. 
There will always be something that speaks to you, that moves you, that transforms you. That's what the Word of God does. That's what the Spirit of God does in conjunction with the Word of God. That is how they work together. And as you go out through the rest of your day, don't just rush headlong into whatever it is that's facing you. Be measured in your approach and be constantly in prayer, which, by the way, isn't just, just talking to God all the time. Listen to what he's saying. Lord, what should I do here? Think that thought all day long. And you'll be surprised what happens. You'll find yourself praying for people you never would have otherwise prayed for. Saying and doing things you never otherwise would have done. Going places you wouldn't otherwise go. You'll find yourself thinking thoughts that you would have never thought. Overcoming trials that would have formerly wrecked you. Giving up things that you never would have given up before. And you will be filled with a joy and a peace and a contentment and a thankfulness. No matter the situation, that's what the Word of God says the empowered, filled believer looks like. Now, this doesn't mean that life will be easy. <laughs> In fact, the more we learn how to do this, the more the enemy will attack us. And the bigger target you will have on your chest because you will become that much more of a threat to the enemies of our God. But the Spirit of God will fill you with boldness as you seek it, as we saw earlier. We just need to stand and overcome by relying up there, not here. Some of you some of you know my brother Marcus. Marcus is a captain in the United States Army. And a couple of years ago, he was deployed to Afghanistan on the east coast, east border with Pakistan, very mountainous region. And he was sent out on a mission with a sniper detachment up high into the mountains. It was a frigid cold day. There was a foot of snow on the ground. And they trekked all morning to get to their overlook position so they would be able to cover the unit that was going through the valley below, clearing out the caves. Little did my brother know that about 100 meters away on another mountaintop, there was a Taliban post. They had a little base up there. And when they got up onto that overlook, they had no idea they were there. And they were basically perched on a cliff's edge with no cover whatsoever, high up. Well, of course, the insurgents took out all of their automatic weapons and trained them on my brother and all of his men, and they opened fire. Now, Afghanistan is about eight hours ahead of us back here on the East Coast. And the moment that that happened, 
or thereabouts. The Lord woke up at least three people that I'm aware of and put on their hearts to pray for Marcus Millen right now. And so we began to pray, each individually, but each for the same thing. We prayed for his safety, and we prayed for his protection. Meanwhile, back in Afghanistan, my Marcus, he, he knew they were in trouble. <laughs> the enemy had the higher ground, they had no cover, and they had a cliff, and so he did all he knew how to do, and that was pray, and ask the Lord to protect them, and then he snapped into his command and did his thing. And I'll spare you of the details of the fighting. Suffice to say, when the dust settled, not a single round of the thousands that were shot at my brother and his men found their mark. He said, where they hit the ground, which was a foot high snow, he said, around the indents where they laid, the snow was Swiss cheese. There were bullets, thousands of holes everywhere, and not a single one hit where the men were laying. And he said, Matthew, it was the most unbelievable thing I have ever seen. Not a single man there walked away without saying, praise God. And those men were not <laughs> believers. <laughs> Amen. Brothers and sisters, that is just a small example of what happens when we yield ourselves to the power of God in our lives. Now, I'm not saying the prayers of those three people were the sole cause of their deliverance, but Jesus had a reason for waking us up. And there was a direct result which was God's name was glorified, amen? And that is what will always happen as we seek to be empowered with the Spirit. We have to put our faith in Jesus. That's always the starting point. That's the gospel. And the instant we do that, we will be baptized by the Spirit. And then, brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, we have got to seek his empowering and filling for the rest of our lives so that we can bring glory to his name and be his witnesses in Easton, in the Lehigh Valley, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Amen?